Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels. This is John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. Today, we have a super fun episode. On the podcast today is my guest, Adam Shogren. Adam is the co-founder of Northgate Brewing. They manufacture session beers and British-style beer, but not exclusively, Adam Shogren and his co-founder Todd Slenninger decided to take the plunge from simple home brewers to brewery owners in February 2012. It all started as Todd was finishing up his master's in business administration and decided to quit his engineering job and become an entrepreneur. Adam was immediately on board and two weeks later a business plan was written and the boys were pitching it all over town. Siebel-trained head brewer Tuck Carruthers came on shortly thereafter to become part owner and to head up brewery operations. In January of 2013, the company served its first pint at Grumpy's in Northeast Minneapolis. Adam, great to have you on the podcast today, and thank you for being here. Well, thanks for inviting me, John. Absolutely. So Adam, with this podcast, I'm starting a new format that splits the interview into three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the let's get personal component where, frankly, we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Adam, are you ready for the interview? As ready as I'll ever be. Fantastic. Give me the basics. So, Adam, number one, in your own words, describe your company its product or even the product scope and what makes it so unique among your customers? So uh, our breweries, like you said earlier, it's Northgate Brewing. We uh, kind of both, Todd and I, had independently gone to Great Britain and had a lot of great beers there. And we got back and uh, those types of beers and those individual beers were not that great. Uh, it's because number of factors, you know, uh, lower alcohol, um, session beers, as, as we call them, and English-style beers <clears throat> that are lower in hops don't, don't travel well and don't sit well. And so you really need to have that beer fresh, as fresh as you can get it. So we really thought that that beer was getting under, underrepresented in the market, and we did some market research on that and discovered that you know, not only was there not anybody focusing on that in uh, Minnesota, there was almost nobody focusing on that in the entire Midwest. So uh, it was a kind of beer that we really liked and we thought would do well in the market. And, uh, and since nobody else was doing it, uh, we, we've always said we were, we, we were really smart or really stupid, but we were going to find out really quick. And uh, 
three and a half years later, I guess we weren't too stupid. Yeah, fantastic. Regarding that uniqueness that you described, did your original assumption about that product's uniqueness prove exactly correct? Or did you discover a different uniqueness or something to emphasize maybe your selling proposition after being in business a while and after getting customer feedback? Uh, I think it wasn't exactly as we had planned. I don't, I, I don't, I would like to meet the man that, uh, that gets everything exactly as they think it's going to go. Exactly. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of things that have helped us and be successful in our new location since we ex- we've expanded is, uh, nitro beers. Um, most people know what nitro beer is Guinness, but there's a lot of options out there. And, um, what people don't really, a lot of people don't know is nitro beer is actually created to mimic what is cask beer, which is like real ales, which is also a very British thing. So, uh, people really like the session options. They like that there are beers out there that we provide that are not very high in alcohol, not always high in alcohol and always high in hops, but they've also really started to push us to get more nitro offerings out there. So Adam, how big are you at this point? Obviously you're still a small company, but how do you describe mm-hmm. that to people? Uh, well, in the brewery terms, it's, it goes by barrelage. So if you take your normal keg that you'd have at you know, a keg party in college, that's a half of a barrel. Um, and that's how we measure everything. So last year we did about 1,200 barrels. So that's about 2,400 full-size kegs. Uh, this year we're looking at doing between 2,000 and 2,500. Uh, that puts us probably in the upper third of Minnesota breweries, but we're still very, very small compared to, you know, everything from Surly to Summit to Anheuser-Busch. So Adam, you sell to other retailers, other stores. Tell us more about that. So yeah, our tap room for us is just kind of a place to experiment with new, uh, new styles and new varieties of beer. The main business for us has always been distribution. Um, we think that's the, the main way that we can grow and be more successful is uh, increasing our distribution footprint in bars and restaurants and also now that we've got a canning line in liquor stores. How many employees do you have? Uh, Twelve. Fantastic. What's it like running a small business like that? Uh, well, my, my beard has gotten much grayer over the years. <laughs> But it's also very rewarding. It's it's great when you can go to like a beer festival and people come up to you and, and thank you for making this, which is a, it's something I didn't think would, you know, it wasn't something I thought about when we started that people would thank you for making a beer. So tell us, tell me a little bit more about the genesis of the story. How do, how do a couple of guys get together and say, let's start a beer company? How does that, how does that work? Tell me. Is it an extension of yourself? Is it something that's very personal to you? Tell me more. Well, f- for us, it started with a broken ankle. Uh, Todd and I actually played soccer together. And uh, I broke my ankle playing on a, in a game. And uh, he brought over his homebrew equipment and said, you know, I, this happened to me when I was younger. Uh, it, it's, it stinks. You can't move. You can't really do anything for six months. So here's homebrew equipment. And we'll homebrew together to kind of so you don't go stir crazy. Uh, and so we started homebrewing a lot together. And then while Todd was getting his MBA, uh, he had an entrepreneurship class. And in that class, you had to you know, create a business plan for a company. And, uh, and in his group, he pitched creating a brewery. So he, he came to me and he said, you know, I've got this class. Um, I want to see if I can bootstrap a brewery for $100,000 or less. 
And so <clears throat> I just helped him with some research because I thought it was a fun project. And then he gets done with school and he comes back to me. He's like, okay, Adam, I think we can do this. I was like, wait, 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 I thought that was for a class project. He said, no, I've been thinking about it. You know, since we did this, uh, I, I think we can actually do this. Um, I think that we can start a very small bootstrap brewery and do it for under 100 grand. And, yeah, you know, we had some overruns, but we basically started in a 700-square-foot garage with converted dairy tanks, and, uh, and, and it, it worked. It, it somehow became successful. Tell me how. So, Adam, here we are in the Tell Me How segment of the podcast where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Let's talk about raising capital. I'm not sure if you raised capital, but keeping in mind that most aspiring entrepreneurs have no knowledge of how to get money for their startup, did you need outside capital when you started? We did. We did. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, the the old friends and family route. Um, it's it's kind of funny. I, I think I mentioned earlier that we met playing soccer, Todd and I. Uh, a lot of our early investors, very small, you know, um, a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there, investors were uh, former soccer teammates, and then along with friends and family, and then uh, basically Todd and I emptied out our nest eggs as well. That's pretty gutsy. How did you go about? raising the money among friends and family. Tell us exactly what you did, such as we wrote a business plan, we held meetings. Tell us more about that. Keep, again, keeping in mind that most people have no idea how to go about doing that. What was that like? So our initial uh, plan, we had a, a value that we had set. Um, and we said, you know, this, we think this is the value of the company when we open. And we want to sell shares based on that valuation. And we had a full business plan. We had a full um, market research plan that we had written, that Todd had written, basically. Um, so we went to them and said, you know, you, if, if you want to buy into 1% of this company, um, this, is the, this is the exact dollar amount that we value that at. Uh, and in the end, we were trying to raise 20% of the value of the company um, through outside investors. And then Todd and I covered the other 80%. How, what was that like going to your friends and family? What did that feel like? Did you, was it difficult for you to do like most people expect? Uh, well, there was a lot of beer involved, so that helped. That does help. <laughs> uh, it, it is, it, it is, it was and is still difficult because uh, not only, you know, every, every time I'm worried about, you know, because I think every, anybody that starts a business, you're constantly, there's a lot of sleepless nights. And it's not only am I worried about um, my employees, I'm also worried about, you know, the, those relationships I have with the people that helped us get started. And I guess for me, it's motivating um, to make sure that I don't disappoint anybody there. Is this your first time launching a company? Yes, it is. What was your background before that? Uh, I did corporate IT for large, uh, large corporations. Interesting. Let's talk about manufacturing the beer. How did you go about manufacturing the beer when you started? How did you know what to do? Uh, luckily, the brewing industry is unlike almost any industry in the world. Um, we're very cooperative. Um, it's like a cooperative competition. 
uh, I was able to go. I've had lots of talks when we started up with uh, the founders of Fulton. Um, Omar from Surly uh, was very helpful and helped when we started up. We were, uh, we were just enough ahead of the curve on the brewing boom in Minnesota that it, you know, we were, it wasn't like you get a question every day. Like I, I can get them now. It's great. I love answering them because so many people helped us. But people were very open about the process and how to uh, source, um, source all the things that we needed to, to manufacture the beer. So when we started, like I said, it was actually converted dairy equipment, uh, dairy equipment. We found a guy in Wisconsin that took old dairy tanks, milk tanks, cheese tanks, and it's the same <clears throat> exact metal and steam systems that are used in brewing, so we converted it. Uh, now it's great. Once we moved into our new location, we have a nice new manufactured just for us brewing system that makes brewing a lot easier and a lot faster. Did you come across any problems or issues when you were first setting that up, or did it go pretty smoothly? No, it never goes smoothly. <laughs> Uh, every time somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to start a brewery. I just signed my lease. I think we'll be open in six months. I was like, all right, add six months to that and then start thinking about that date. It's it's a very long process with the federal government. Um, there's one agency that licensed you. And up until recently, they only had three employees that, that did the licensing. Uh, and, you know, in that time, 2,500 breweries have opened. Uh, so it's a very long line. Um, and then the state is also does not quite have all of its licensing in place. Um, so literally from uh, opening the first brewery to opening the second brewery, a lot of the rules and laws have changed of, of what's acceptable in a brew house. And, and you know, they don't they publish that. They just tell you that after you built it and then you have to go back, tear something down and rebuild it. Um, it's So it's, it's a very, I mean, regulated, for good reasons it's regulated, but it's a very regulated industry. So it's, it's challenging knowing what exactly the rules are that you have to follow. Do you have any key pieces of advice for people that are considering getting into your business regarding the manufacturing? Uh, in the manufacturing, I would say uh, absolutely check the references of, of, the, uh, of the manufacturers. Uh, we've, we have some friends in the industry who have some, some pretty shoddy equipment um, that they were, you know, that they have to work around. Um, and then we have some friends in the industry that gave us amazing um, tips on where to get uh, some equipment and we don't have any problems with that stuff and a lot of it is you know don't get the don't get the cheapest stuff uh, get get the best that you can afford let's talk about selling the product to other stores early on I want to get specific here how did you approach them how did you prepare so we we prepared by by making samples, uh, you know, bottling off small uh, sample trays of beers that we could take to restaurants and bars. Uh, a lot of it was just interpersonal relationships, just building those relationships with the owners and the buyers, and uh, being able to approach them and say, "Hey, you know, I, we've been working on this for the last six months. We're ready to go. You've you've liked the stuff that we've uh, brought to you to to test." You know, we'd really like to to earn our way onto your tap line, and uh, and and you know, give if you can give us a chance, and we can earn our you know, basically earn our keep there. Uh, I would say a lot of beer selling to restaurants and bars, uh, outside of 
the greater marketing effort is uh, is interpersonal relationships. And what sort of rejection did you get or obstacles that would be insightful for others getting into this business? Oh, John, I get rejected every day. <laughs> so uh, you got to have thick skin in this business. Uh, I, I would say that uh, the, the best thing you can do is, you know, unless there's a problem with your product, no usually doesn't mean no. It just means not right now. Um, and a lot of that is you get competition. I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of breweries and a lot of beer out there. And there's only so many tap handles um, to go around. So you you face competition. Um, you, you're going to get pressure from the big boys. Um, we all know who they are. They have a lot of power. They've got a lot of buying power, a lot of marketing power. Uh, but you also get pressure from uh, everybody wanting to try something new. You know what's new? What's you know what's just came out? And so. Uh, it's that's that's one thing that's really helped us is the fact that we make types of beers that not everybody does is our best sellers aren't the new ones it's it's our staples it's our English brown ale and our you know our nitro milk stout like those those are even in the summer those are our best sellers because uh, eventually having something new doesn't help you as much as having a good reputation for making a quality product how important is it in your industry to have consumers aware of your product before they go into the bar and restaurant? I would say it's the single most important thing in our industry now. And how do you raise that awareness, create that demand among them while being such a small company? It's, that's the big, that is also the biggest challenge we have. Uh, it's, it's a lot of community involvement, uh, getting people that even if they don't have your beer, know your name. Uh, you know, we just had a big celebration for, <laughs> there was a new Harry Potter book that just came out and we had a big party for it. Uh, and it was, you know, we had a several hundred, maybe a thousand people at the brewery and most of them before that hadn't heard of us. Uh, you know, they, they came for the Harry Potter party, but that helps us raise our awareness. So now next time when they go into a bar or restaurant and they see Northgate on the menu, they're like, oh yeah, I know those guys. Those guys, uh, you know, they, they, they make the kind of beers I like. They, they're into the kind of stuff I'm into. How much patience does the buyer have at that bar or restaurant with your, your product um, before they start to lose interest? I've been a manufacturer and delivered product to stores many a time. And there's as soon as we got the product in, the clock started ticking, and we felt we really needed to have that support, that marketing support in place. Do you feel that the clock starts ticking once you get a product in? What is your feeling on that? Uh, yeah, so we always kind of think of it as rent. Um, you know, we're renting a tap line space or a rail on a, a liquor store shelf. Um, so we need to be able to pay our rent and we know that and the bars know that. And so a lot of it is, is, is yeah, you're right, is making sure that people know of our product that when we place it into a, a restaurant, it's going to sell. Because if it doesn't, you know, they just won't buy it again. The restaurant won't. They'll replace it with something that will sell. You know, they've got to make their margins too. So a lot of that is um, if we're in, if it's a new store, we make sure that we put signage up. We try to do events there. Let the the local customers know that we're in that location, and that it's a good quality product, and they should, you know, try it, and then hopefully they like it and want to buy it again, so that we can keep paying our rent on those uh, on those tap handles and those uh, rails. Do you spend a lot of time working with the servers? 
maybe doing demos, those sorts of things when you go into a bar and restaurant? That's kind of a new program that we're starting. Uh, and and it's because there's, there's just a lot of turnover in the service industry. And you, you never know who – you never know if the server knows who you are either because if they don't, they're not going to recommend you when the customer asks, well, what do you like? What's good? What's local? So it's a new program that we're starting is bringing them in and having our head brewer do on-site training at the bar, at our bar, at our tap room, you know, because it's a little fun get away from them for them. And then we get to teach them about not only our products, but just beer in general. Let's talk about pricing a little bit. How easy or difficult was it in setting your price and how did you go about that? Well, <laughs> we actually uh, we actually asked around before we opened and we were we asked what what does Summit EPA go for? And, you know, we had enough bar owners that were willing to tell us. We're like, all right, that's what we're going to price our, our product at. And then about six months in, we realized that was too low and our margins weren't good enough because Summit has, you know, the power of uh, a, a huge manufacturing facility. So they can save money. They can save costs in a lot of ways that we couldn't as a, as a very, very small brewery. So uh, we went back and redid uh, basically all of our pricing sheets. And uh, now we set... Our, uh, we set our prices to the market depending on a, um, a margin that we need to hit uh, to, you know, to cover our overhead and our cogs and our employee cost. Uh, and so now that was kind of a learning curve. Um, and so now we, we charge about $20 more a keg than we did when we first opened. But we're still in line uh, with the market uh, and, and we're able to cover all, all of our costs. And bear with me here, but do you work with distributors in your industry? We do now. Uh, we self-distributed for the first three years we were open. Um, that's great because you don't have to pay the distribution margin. But the day I had to personally deliver kegs in Woodbury and Shanhassen, and for your listeners that aren't in the Twin Cities, those are about 35, 40 miles apart uh, in a big in a big diesel truck, that was uh, that was not a pleasant day, and uh, I realized that we needed some some help. Uh, as you know, instead of hiring another full time employee, uh, somebody that has a bigger reach, that has a, they have a great print shop that we can use, and they and they can get us to all locations in Minnesota. And give us a, a better idea of working with distributors and how that affects how you market and sell the product. Uh, it's, it's definitely, it was, it's, it's definitely different. Uh, we would go in originally and we were the only point of contact. We would go in, we would make the pitch, we would finalize the sale and when, then we would deliver it and pick up the check. Uh, and now uh, <clears throat> we, we still go in and we still have sales, uh, staff and we go in and we make the pitch and we try to make the sale, but we have to make sure we have to depend on our distribution partner to finalize that sale and then make the delivery. And um, most of the time that happens just fine, but th there are times where it doesn't. And it's, it's always a question of, well, we were in, we said they wanted it, why isn't it delivered? Uh, and sometimes uh, it's just a learning curve. You know, we're only six months into that process or I guess seven months in now. Uh, so it's kind of funny. I was talking about how we're collaborative competitors. Um, some of our other friends signed with, uh, that are in the industry signed with our same distributor. And uh, I sat down with him and I was like, all right, these are the, these are the six things I would have done differently. Let's get personal. So Adam, as our friendly voiceover indicated, let's get personal for just a second. 
What motivates a guy like you, Adam Shogren, to stop talking about a new business idea and actually apply yourself fully to launching a company like Northgate Brewing? Was it your destiny to launch a company like Northgate? Uh, well, I'm kind of a, I'm, I try to be as pragmatic as possible. And when I sat down and thought about doing this, um, I, <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to say. I, I figured I was, I it was old enough that I had the experience and I was confident enough that I could do it, but I was still young enough to fail. And when you're putting, you know, your, your life savings on the line, you, you have to know that a lot of a lot of companies don't always make it and you have to and I was and my thought was all right well if this doesn't work you know this isn't going to cripple me for life I can still recover from this I'm you know so for me it was I want to do this this is something that I was very passionate about but also pragmatic in that I have to make sure that you know I can do this Adam what what has been your biggest joy or what are you most proud of in starting Northgate Brewing? My, my single biggest joy, and I still get it all the time, is the, f- the first time somebody has our beer and when they're, if their face like just lights up. It's just, it's, it's great. It's, the, you know, we were just up at the, a festival in Duluth called Alpines North and we we're coming out with this amazing new beer in October. It's a bourbon barrel aged stout. Um, and it's something we've, it's really so far outside of what we normally do. Um, and we previewed it at Alpine North, and all day, you know, people come up to us. They know we make the low alcohol session beers, and here's this 12% big boozy bourbon stout, and their faces just lit up, um, and that's that's great. I mean, it's so rewarding to instantly see the gratification that your product has in your, uh, with the consumers. On the flip side of that, what have been your biggest challenges, or or maybe your number one frustration? in starting a company like Northgate? Uh, you know, it's like we talked about earlier, it's, it's marketing. It's not something that's I, I would consider my strong suit. Um, and so we've actually gotten some outside help recently uh, because, you know, I can make the best beer in the world, but if nobody knows it exists, then it doesn't matter. Many entrepreneurs, Adam, have experienced self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self-doubt have you had if any, and and maybe what triggers it and how have you dealt with it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely had a lot of self-doubt, sleepless nights, you know, lying there, staring at the ceiling, wondering what I did wrong. Uh, it's for me, I'm, I'm very lucky. You know, my wife is very supportive. Uh, my friends and family are very supportive. Um, you know, I can use them as a sounding board. Uh, it's it's <laughs> yeah, just it's very frustrating to start a business. It's very, it's, it's also very, very rewarding, but, um, it's, it's making sure that you kind of, you stick to the plan when you need to stick to the plan, but you're also willing to, to admit when you've done something wrong or you've taken uh, a, a path that maybe you shouldn't have and you're willing to correct course. Adam, as you said, starting a business is very, very difficult. How is starting your own business changed you as a person, if at all? How has it impacted you? I would I, I would say that I'm much more assertive now uh, than I was previously, but at the same time, I'm I'm also more willing. I think I'm more willing to listen 
and, 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 and more willing to admit I don't know what I don't know. And I would rather learn that than be stubborn uh, because, you know, when I worked for someone else and I was being stubborn, it was just me being affected. But now, you know, I have, I have the livelihood of, of, of my employees that I have to worry about. And, you know, they've got kids and that's kind of scary and terrifying at the same time. So I have to, I have to be willing to admit when I don't know something and, and find better, smarter people to help me. And related to that, what have you learned most about yourself in starting Northgate? I'm willing to work a lot of hours without sleep. <laughs> I didn't know I was able to do before. Did that sort of creep into your habit right away when you started the company, or did it sort of confront you at some stage? I think it uh, it was more when we expanded into our new space. So when we started in the original location, it was a 700-square-foot facility. We were pretty much at uh, capacity within six months. And I was like, hey, this is going to be easy. This is Starting a business is the easiest thing in the world. And then we moved into a new, loca- a new facility uh, in 2014, uh, which had uh, – it was 10 times the space, but also 10 times the overhead. And that's – when you know the rubber really hit the road, met the road on that one is, uh, and that's when I knew I, it it it's not all unicorns and uh, rainbows. Yeah. So tell me more. Try to give us a glimpse of what it's like for you. So here we are. We've got some listeners listening to this podcast, and here you are, Adam, somebody who's working so much more than you ever thought you would. So describe maybe in a nutshell what it's like on any given week. What are you doing? You wake up, you go into the office. Tell us more about that. Uh, so on my business card, it actually says head cat herder. And uh, that's that's pretty appropriate. Uh, I will do you know stuff like this. Um, and then I will, I will have sales meetings. I will go out into the field and talk to uh, some of our better customers, uh, some new customers. Uh, you know, try to always make face so that they it's not just – uh, you know, a random salesperson. It's me, Adam, that, you know, really cares about the product. I will meet with our uh, distributors and our brand managers on our uh, distribution partner. Uh, I will go and talk to our social media marketing company every week. Um, I will have our event planning meeting. I then talk to uh, the manufacturing side and we go through and we always have kind of a rolling six week and six month brew schedule that we're talking about. Uh, you know, down to yesterday, we had a clog drain in the brew house and I had to call up the, uh, you know, our sewer guy and have him come out and, and get that fixed so we could keep, we could keep brewing. So it really is, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's just a million little things going on all at once. And it's, and that's kind of where the sleepless nights come in because you sit there now it's, did I, did I do that? Did I remember to do that? Did I follow up with that person? Did that person follow up with me? Right. And so I'd love to expand a little bit on the topic of how you've changed. And I'm just wondering among your friends that you had prior to starting your company and even among your professional network prior to starting the company, how might they see you differently now, if at all? What are they observing in you that might be different or the same? Oh, well, I think if at all is kind of the big one because uh, I, I definitely don't get to socialize as much as I used to. Uh, it, I mean, it is it is kind of a sacrifice in that way. Uh, I still see uh, 
a lot of my friends, but it's when they, you know, honestly, it's when they come to the tap room and have a beer. Uh, it's, it is, it's just, you know, it's, it's difficult when you're working 60, 70 hours a week, uh, as opposed to when I used to have a corporate job and work 40 to get out and, and socialize as, as much as I used to. Um, so, and a lot of it is now when I see them, I, I see them either at a tap room or at a, uh, a festival or at a, uh, some kind of event. So that, 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 Maybe that's going back. That's kind of one of those the sacrifices that you have to make. Adam, we're coming to the end of the podcast. This has been really great. I have two more questions for you. Number one is, who has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally? However, you want to answer that. Oh gosh, uh, man, I don't. I I I would say I would honestly say it's a lot of just it's it's my friends and family in general. Um, I can't think of any one person that's been um, that influential. It's kind of uh, it's, it's a weird analogy. Death by a thousand cuts, but the opposite, like growth by a thousand cuts, sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I can't think of a, a single one single person because there's been so many people that have been influential influential in my life. Were you a connoisseur of uh, business magazines, business blogs, um, books? Before you started the, the the company, nope, not a one. I I subscribe to a lot of them now. <laughs> That's funny. So finally, Adam, did I miss any questions that you feel you'd like to answer, or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? Uh, you know, I would I, entrepreneurs in general. I would say you know make sure that you've you've had that talk with uh, with your family. You know that. And your immediate support group that um, you, you know they're they're they know what's you're in for. Um, they're going to be the the people you will rely on the most when um, things aren't going as swimmingly, and they're also the people that will celebrate your successes the most as well. And, and just really know that they're they were there for you before you started, and they'll be there for you after. Adam, you've been great. Congratulations on your courage and your success in starting. Northgate Brewing and, sh- and and sharing your experiences with us. Thanks for being here. It has been great talking with you. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 